0: Hello students, today I am going to deal with a new chapter and this is called The Interview. This has been written by Christopher Sylvester. In this chapter, Christopher Sylvester talks about the merits and demerits of an interview. interview, which was invented about 130 years ago according to this book, has become a common place in journalism. It has a very important place in journalism. It's not surprising that some people are for interviews and there are others who just repel interviews. Who are the people who are for interviews and why do they consider it an inseparable part of journalism? Number one, he says that it is the highest form of source of truth. Why so? Whatever you are hearing comes from the horse's mouth. It is what The interviewee exactly feels. Secondly, it is a face to face interaction. Not only can you read the other person's body language, but whatever he says, you can gauge whether he is telling the truth or not. That is why it is considered to be a practice and art. Those people who repel interviews, who don't like interviews, are generally the celebrities who are interviewed. They consider themselves as victims. Some of them, they feel that it is an unwarranted intrusion into their lives. They do not want their lives to be an open book. They do not want people to comment on their lives. They do not want people to judge them based on an interview. V.S. Naipaul, who is a contemporary English writer and Indian writer, he feels that some people are wounded by interviews, they lose a part of themselves. He considers it to be detrimental to the interviewee because he is unable to control any of it. Lewis Carroll, who wrote Alice in Wonderland, he considers it a horrific experience he says that they are being lionized what does he mean by lionized he says people who know about you they start talking about you critically and that is why he repels interviews rudyard kipling who wrote the jungle book he considers it immoral he considers it a crime he says just like an assault this is also a crime and it is Cowardly. He says any interviewer will turn whatever is said to his own advantage, and that is why he says it merits punishment. He calls it cowardly and vile, and he says that nobody should give an interview. Yet, Kipling himself had interviewed Mark Twain only a few years before. H.G. Wells also calls it an ordeal. Saul Velo says. It is like thumbprints on his windpipe that means it is choking and suffocating yet there are others who consider it a supremely serviceable medium of communication. Some people feel that an interviewer holds a position of unwarranted power and influence because he can ask whatever he wants and he can turn the words said by the interviewee the way he wants, he can present it any way he wants. There is an extract in part 2 of the lesson, and this is a sample interview of a man called Umberto Eco. This interview was taken by Mukun Padmanabhan from the Hindu, and Umberto Eco was a professor at a university of Bologna in Italy. He is an authority on study of science, the literary interpretation and medieval aesthetics before he turned to writing fiction. Not only did he write fiction, he also wrote texts, he wrote essays, he wrote children's books, he wrote newspaper articles. The types of writing that he wrote were innumerable. In 1980, he published a book called The Name of the Rose. And this book sold more than 10 million copies. When Mukund interviewed him, he says, I can't understand how one man can do all that. And to that Umberto Eco replied that in every person's life, there are interstices. Now, what are interstices? There are empty spaces. What he says is, suppose you're traveling in a lift, at that time, you are not doing anything. Some of us might look into our phones, we might stare at space, but he says, at that time his mind is already working on an article or a story or a book, and that is why he finds time to do all these things. He says, at the end he is writing about the same thing. He is writing about peace and non-violence, whether it is a children's story, or it is an essay, or it is a novel that he is writing, his stories, his essays, everything revolve around peace and nonviolence. So he says, basically I am thinking about the same thing. It's just the style that changes. Then Mukund asked him that even though he wrote nonfiction, there was a certain quality about it that made it very, very interesting. You know, normally all these essays or articles that we read about peace and nonviolence they are very very dry and boring. But when Umberto Eco writes it, they are interesting. He says, how do you manage all that? To that he replied that when he did his doctorate, he had to present a dissertation. Now what people do is that they write the actual thing by trial and error method and they keep on removing whatever is not required, or whatever they find as a false hypothesis, as he calls it. But then his dissertation, it had all the things that he had tried, all the hypothesis that he had tried, and that was appreciated by the readers. He says, His dissertation was accepted the way it was only because it was a story of his research. His essays always have a narrative aspect to them. They are not monotonous. They show the other people that anybody who is working on it can also go wrong. And it is only after a lot of trials do you come to something that you really want to portray. He says that he started writing novels by accident. They basically satisfied his taste for narration. He could put across things that he really wanted to. So he's written about five novels, whereas he's written about 40 non-fictional works. One is a seminal piece of work on semiotics, But most people, they recognize him as a novelist. Mukund asked him whether he finds it a bother if people recognize him as a novelist. So he said that he is a university professor who writes novels on Sundays. So basically, he doesn't consider himself a novelist at all because, he says, he participates in academic conferences and not the meeting of pen-clubs or writers. He identifies himself with the academic community. Then he was asked that although The Name of Rose was a very, very serious novel, it dealt with metaphysics, it dealt with theology, it dealt with history, yet it enjoyed a mass audience. To that, Umberto Eco said that there are six billion people in the world. And his book, it sold about 10 to 15 million copies. So he says that it reached only a small percentage of readers, but it was exactly the kind of readers who don't want easy experiences. They are interested in all these things. Initially he had expected to sell only about 3000 copies, but then It was only later that more and more and more copies were published. Because although he says that the publisher was his friend, but she told him that because of the subject that he was dealing with, it may not sell too much. He says how it sold, it's a mystery. Now the question is, do you think Umberto Eco liked to be interviewed? Well, yes. He did like to be interviewed. He permitted Mukund to interview him, and he willingly answered all questions at length. Not even once did he feel uncomfortable. He shared his secrets, like how he used interstices, he enjoyed the success, he enjoyed being a university professor, and he also said that the success of the book is a mystery. So, basically, we find that he was a willing interviewee. Another question that is often asked is, does he consider himself a novelist first or an academic scholar first? So, he considers himself a university professor first, yet he took pride in his non-fictional works. He says, I don't like attending pen clubs or writer clubs i attend academic conferences then he is asked what was the reason for the huge success of novel the name of rose he says the publishers were apprehensive at first but once it was published it sold many many copies he says it was probably printed at the right time that is why it worked so umberto eco comes across as a humble and a modest person.